This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. European Processor Initiative takes aim at Exascale. And HPC Cloud Computing on the Upswing. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, we're home from ISC, but the news hasn't stopped coming out of Europe, and I was intrigued to read an article on Top500.org about the European Processor Initiative. Yeah, this has been in motion for uh, just a few months now. This was launched back in March of this year, uh, funded partially by the by the EU, the European Commission, and this is the part that we've sort of implied before that the that the Europeans were going to develop their own supercomputing chips and uh, become independent from the North American based companies like Intel, Nvidia, and so on uh, for their HPC needs, and so they set up this um, this initiative basically to start that. And uh, this has been going on a few months. And from what I could glean, this uh, the actual work is starting now, this summer. So some of this is now fully in motion. Some of the design work is ongoing. Um, a lot of this hasn't been announced, but what I was able to determine was it looks like they're going to develop two chips, one based on ARM and one based on RISC-V. Yeah, they're looking at the ARM chip, presumably, to be the core CPU in all of this. And then a RISC-V is an accelerator. And according to the roadmaps published on slides from Matteo Valero at Barcelona Supercomputing Center, they're looking at delivering those chips in late 2020 uh, for two markets, an exascale market, but also um, looking at uh, chips for cars, an automotive CPU market, leveraging the fact that it's a low power package. So uh, on that timeline, they'd be targeting pre-exascale systems at some point in 2021 and then going to an eventual exascale system in 2023. Right. That's what it looks like, uh, which I think uh, syncs up with the the larger European effort under Euro HPC to build uh, and deploy these systems in those timeframes. I think this uh, this initiative EPI feeds into that because this is going to supply uh, the processors for those systems, at least the initial systems. Um, so these these are sort of joined at the hip now. Yeah, and I get what we're saying about getting independence from uh, Intel in particular or U.S. processor manufacturers in general. This is something that we saw China go through with regards to its own exascale plans when uh, they had been uh, initially planning on some future Xeon Phi processors. And then after the uh, embargo went through on some of those high-end processors, that was when China retooled. We saw them take an initial uh, seeming delay on some of their supercomputer plans, but since then have been able to really accelerate things, no pun intended, with regards to their own supercomputing deployments. Right. I think the, the motivations for Europe are somewhat similar, although a little bit different. I, I think Europe as well wanted to sort of get off the uh, dependency on, on Intel specifically, but also on sort of these closed ecosystems that Basically, all the U.S.-based chip makers are involved in them, whether they be Intel, NVIDIA, or whoever. They uh, they wanted a more open platform. Certainly, ARM is open. You can buy a license and develop your own ARM chip. 
and and RISV is is a completely open platform. That's an open source uh, process. Or RISV is an open source processor uh, developed at uh, University of California Berkeley about eight years ago, and those licenses are free. It's uh, you can get those under a BSD license and develop another free implementation for other people, or you can develop a proprietary implementation, which is, I assume, is what they're going to do here. Yeah, and there's an interesting question, other than just generally Europe, who is going to be doing this design and eventual building of these chips? And like so many things, we have a consortium here, but Atos winds up being one of the key players in all of this. On the corporate side, they've got the scalable system technologies, but they've got a lot of partnership as well from the research community. Right. It looks like Atos on the commercial side is going to be driving a lot of this work. And on the on the research side, it looks like Barcelona Supercomputer is also going to be driving, especially with the uh, RISC-V development. Um, now, the partners are certainly going to help. I mean, they have ST Microelectronics, which obviously is, is in the semiconductor space. So uh, there's 23 partners in total right now on this initiative, and uh, they're all going to contribute something, some of which, like I said, are... Are, are vendors, some of which are semiconductor vendors, but also users like CEA in France and, and Ulich and BSC. Uh, so everybody's going to put their two cents in and, and work on either the hardware or the software side uh, around these two two platforms. Now, you and I were talking before the podcast, before we started recording, looking at 2023 for Exascale in Europe, you and I both remembered talk of a plan with a potential plan with Bull and CEA that that had a, a concept of 2020 as an Exascale system. But I always had the sense that there was an asterisk on that, that it was contingent on processor deliveries from Intel. And in, in particular, I think it relied on Knights Hill. And with Knights Hill going away, now you get another reason to uh, to move away from Intel architectures altogether. Right. I mean, that's actually would have, would have certainly put a crimp in the plan to get something out by 2020. Certainly Knights Hill, and maybe even the follow-on to Knights Hill would have been uh, ready by then. But it, um, that whole that whole product line is is now, you know, very much in question, um, which certainly could have pushed all this out a couple of years. Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of ironic. I mean, the the European initiative to make uh, domestically produced supercomputing components is sort of to bring the the EU on par with the U.S. and China in this space. But actually, doing this work is going to be in the short term is going to be extra work for them. It's going to push out the timeline even more if they actually opted to to just follow the US with, you know, whatever NVIDIA or, or Intel chips, they probably could have gotten systems out a little bit sooner. Um, but in the long term, I think they see this as a way to, to really become independent and to, to get a more sustainable pace and to keep up with uh, the two other supercomputing powers and then get on par with them. Yeah, what it really makes me think about here is let's assume for a second this plan does consolidate around an ARM processor for this European Exascale initiative, which I think is not certain, but it's the leading contender. We would now see Exascale plans, funded Exascale plans in Europe, in Japan, and potentially also in China as one of their tracks for delivering Exascale supercomputers based on ARM when there's not currently in the middle of 2018 an ARM 
uh, Penascale system or any ARM system on the top 500 list. Now, we've got one uh, potentially coming up with Astra, but that one's not uh, deployed yet. So we're going right. to go from nothing on Petascale and ARM in 2018 to these major exascale initiatives that are funded on ARM. Meanwhile, Intel, which is the heart of most HPC systems on the market today, including established Petascale systems, out of all of the funded exascale initiatives that we have, the only one right now that's relying on Intel architectures is the A21 project, the Aurora supercomputer. And we don't even have a definition as to what the Intel processor will be for that. So there's a lot of uh, skepticism around Intel's path toward exascale. When I put these two things together, it, it one looks like a big leap of faith on ARM, but also a true vote of no confidence in Intel. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to gauge, you know, what proportion of, of either one of those is going on here. But certainly, uh, it is a surprising development. I mean, here, like you said, I mean, Intel dominates the current uh, processor market in, in HPC by a large margin. And yet, we're talking about systems two or th two or three or maybe a little more four years away, uh, not planning on even using that that architecture anymore. And we should also mention, even in the US, where, where Aurora is going to be produced there, there might be a an ARM-based exascale system in the offing as well. That hasn't all been decided yet. So I, I think it's, and I think it's more than just ARM. I think it's the fact that this is sort of an open license uh, processor architecture, and and it's that's becoming more attractive to the community as the years go by. So it's, I, I think, People are uh, a little weary of of sort of this closed system, even though it it currently dominates the space. Uh, Exascale might be sort of a a watershed moment for the market in in that sense as well. All right, Michael. Well, it's certainly something that well, it's got a few more years playing out. I'm very yep. interested in in how the European Processor Initiative solidifies around the CPU and whether it's indeed going to be ARM and this Risk Five accelerator. Meanwhile, uh, I at ISC 18 did give a market update talk while we were there. We haven't recapped that in its entirety, but it included our new market model and forecast numbers and the. The lead story coming out of all of that was that 2017 was really a breakout year for cloud computing in HPC. Yeah, and I was sort of surprised to hear that. I, I think I let some of my focus on the cloud market slip by. And um, yeah, your latest research shows that it, it got a huge jump uh, between 2016 and 17, um, up by 44% year over year. Um, it was still a relatively small part of the market. I think still, still around three percent, but it's it's now over one billion dollars in revenue, according to your data, which is uh, which is something I think you guys didn't really expect to happen until a few years later. But uh, all of a sudden, it just jumped uh, this this past year. Yeah, and I'll take a step back first to give this a little bit of context. Overall, the market was was flat to slightly up. We saw 1.6% growth for, in high-performance computing from 2016 to 2017. But that relatively calm number at the top belied the fact that there were a lot of very dynamic things going on between the different segments underneath that. And starting from the fact that we were seeing more positive indicators from the demand side, from the end-user surveys, than we 
did from the supply side, what we read from the vendors, one of the differences was that end users did see, particularly in commercial markets, a real increase in facility spending. And that power and cooling portion of the budget did consume a lot of the increase. And then when we got to the product side, again, it was it was variable. We saw more of an uptick in the server or compute portion of the market than we did in other areas like storage. And that was related to um, really the AI movement and, and people who are starting to go to more compute-centric configurations, just like Five years ago with big data, we saw an uptick in storage that was related to people putting more flash into their storage offerings and, and therefore carried more dollars per byte. What we saw this past year was people mixing in more GPUs. Uh, GPUs really had a big year in high-performance computing. That showed up in, in multiple areas in our end-user research and caused servers to take up more of the uh, product mix relative to other things like software and services, which actually went down and storage was only up slightly. And then, of course, the big breakout one was cloud, which was up 44%. Now, we've been waiting for cloud to have a double-digit growth year. Uh, we've been forecasting that in the teens the last couple of years, and it was coming up short of that, maintaining a, a single-digit growth. And then last year, I think a lot of this pent-up demand for it broke through, um, predominantly in the more high-value-add areas with things like software as a service and um, in environment hosting, both PaaS and IaaS, platform as a service, inter, uh, infrastructure as a service, all getting a big pop. And, and that was primarily due um, to the maturation of uh, license models on the ISV side, where now it was easier to move your ANSYS license or your advocates license into the cloud that, that really uh, brought a lot of growth to that high value segment. Yeah. And one thing uh, I speculated on in my coverage of this is, is sort of the, uh, one of the trends we're seeing is sort of longer procurement cycles for HPC systems in general, which is actually reflected in the top 500 list, which is causing um, sort of a lot more older systems to be in the field. And so you, you're seeing like the, the most recent systems out there. There's not a lot of, you know, either an, an NVIDIA, the latest NVIDIA like V100 systems or Xeon uh, Intel Skylake systems out there. But those systems are available in the cloud, they update on a much more regular basis than uh, individual shops. So if you want access toward it to the latest software, it's actually uh, there's some incentive now to, to go to the cloud to get those faster performing processors now. Now, I don't know to what extent that's figuring into any of this leap, but that's sort of an interesting factor now that the, the market has changed in that sense and that you can go to the cloud and get more modern infrastructure than you can get now in your in your average cluster that's uh, that's in somebody's data center. Yeah, that's good analysis, Michael. And what we've really seen is the big problem on the end user side is that users are looking at this diversity in technology options. And that contributes to the lengthening sales cycle because end users are afraid of committing to a particular architectural choice like, say, GPUs or, or uh, Xeon Phi. And then maybe that doesn't turn out to be the choice that they want in, in hindsight. And cloud does provide an option for a lower cost or lower risk way to try your codes on 
uh, on these newer technologies before committing to something in-house. So as you mentioned, cloud uh, did have a, a significant 44% pop overall. That brought it to $1.1 billion out of the market. Uh, before everyone gets too excited, that's a huge growth, sure, but it went from 2.2% of the market to 3.1% of the market. And as we keep seeing high growth through the forecast period and go to roughly $2 billion in cloud in 2019 and close to $3 billion in 2022, even all that brings it up into the 6% range by the end of the forecast period. And by then, the growth rate should be starting to taper off a little bit. So cloud will eventually find a new asymptote in this market. These are parts of hybrid clouds for the most part. It's not people shutting down their entire in-house environments and moving everything to the cloud. Cloud is not taking over this space, but it is finding a a, uh, a, a new proportion of, of where it fits in with people's overall workloads. Yeah, I was sort of wondering about that as I was looking at that your data, like where what is what is sort of the upper limit on the share of the market it would it would uh, it would capture. And you're, it sounds like you're saying you think it's going to be below ten percent of the market when it finally sort of reaches a a mature a mature state. Uh, certainly within five years, it's still going to be below 10. And, you know, could it eventually get to 10? I think that might be on the high end of where it gets to as a as a new ongoing stable proportion. Uh, but that's not in the in the five year uh, spectrum. So while it is a high growth segment that has a lot of opportunity, it's also still a really highly competed segment. Um, we don't advise to all of our clients to go rush into HPC and the cloud offerings. Uh, you know, there are, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dynamic areas in high performance computing and cloud is, is going to be one of them. Yeah, there's, there's some interesting applications going on in that space. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see, how much, uh, how fast it grows over the next couple of years as it uh, bounces off the, the good year in 2017. All right, Michael. Well, thanks for the chat as always. And nice to be back out of the conference. We're going to be looking for more news coming from places like Hot Chips, especially related to that European processor initiative as the summer continues on. Uh, but for now, uh, thanks for the wrap up, Michael, and we'll keep watching it. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.